Let's pray. Father, for all who are in Christ, we are going to spend eternity in your presence, in perfect glory, with all the saints who have gone before us and those who will come behind some of us. And we will be with you. It's hard to imagine, Lord, what that's going to be like, but you give us your means of grace, moments, snapshots, opportunities for our hearts to be captured and captivated by the beauty that is yours alone. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, I know there are women and men and children here today who have trusted in Christ. And I know there are those here who have yet to receive Jesus alone for salvation. We're so thankful that we get to offer your gift, you, for you alone, Christ, are the hope of salvation. And Father, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit, is, who is the only one who can illuminate our hearts and minds to believe these truths. And Father, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the helper. We need the encouragement, Holy Spirit, that only you can bring. So would you do that now? Bring hope, bring comfort, bring wisdom, bring power. Do a deliverance and a healing in our lives this day, Lord, that we might be changed for your glory's sake and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We are in the book of Daniel. And last week we read through verse 7. I'm going to pick it up at verse 8 and read through the rest of chapter 1. This is a very well-known story. Daniel and three of his friends um, have been taken, along with the others, into exile. But now things begin to turn as we see Daniel's resolve. Daniel 1 verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servant according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke. He spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Why are we studying the book of Daniel? Perhaps you've never asked yourself, why do the pastors pick the books that they pick for us to be in? Well, it's a process of us entering into prayer. We seek to engage our elders. We believe that a time such as now is very significant. And this book of Daniel offers incredible insight and courage. Brian Chapel, who right now is the stated clerk of the Presbyterian Church in America, he's a friend of our church. He was one of my professors for 18 years. He served as the president of Covenant Theological Seminary. He will be here in the early part of 2022 to be our guest preacher at Winter Grace as we bring that back. We're very excited about that. He has a book titled The Gospel According to Daniel. The first words he put in print related to chapter one, this is what he writes. And he writes this in 2014. In recent years, much of my time has been spent helping different generations of church leaders understand each other. An older generation came of age during a time of a perceived Christian consensus in our nation. The goal of many of those believers was to encourage the quote moral majority to become active enough politically to control the institutions of our society. A following generation matured in a time when Christian young people could only perceive themselves as a minority in a pluralistic culture, and its leaders have not sought to obtain control so much as credibility. For these younger leaders, the pressing question is, how do we make Christianity credible to a society that wants nothing to do with the faith of our fathers. The Bible, with great prior wisdom, prepares for the questions of such a younger generation with the historical accounts of Daniel and his friends. They are young people, the four of them, forced by Babylonian invasion to leave their culture of majority faith and as captives, live their faith as a minority in a culture whose majority follows a pagan pluralism. We need each other. One of the things of many I love about this church is the generations. There's a man in our church that's in his hundreds. There are babies young, or there are babies younger than the ones baptized today, being born continually in the life of our church. Look around. You need one another. We are his body in which Christ is the head. And we need the wisdom of those who have walked before us. And we need the wisdom of those who are younger. We need the wisdom to be represented in our leadership. We need to be seeing all through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in his holy word. But we are living in a time where so many things are fractured and where the compromise of true biblical truth is everywhere. And that's not new. We need examples that come to us from God's holy word and examples of that lived holy word coming through us as we stand up strongly in the name of Christ on the foundation of his holy word, not compromising ever any part of it. 
and always seeking to love even our enemies the way Christ called us to love. Daniel is a great book for us to be in right now. These four individuals that were taken into exile with many, many others have received a privileged pursuit. The king has noticed their appearance. He noticed where they come from, that they have some level of royalty, that they're bright. They're the best and the brightest. And the king wants them in his service. So imagine as you read this book and as you listen to it being read that this really happened. If you don't think of that, it's easy to dismiss it. But this people, the people of Israel, march into exile, into captivity. Imagine the conversations, moms, as you're leading your little ones. Imagine the conversations, dads, as you're leading your families. Imagine the conversations that these four are having, wondering what's going to happen to them. And we see what begins to take place. The king first wants to change their names. Then he wants to put them in the best possible schools. And then he wants them to eat the food that is his food. It's privilege. But it's privilege with a purpose. A purpose of them beginning to serve him and his purposes. There's a lot of wisdom here. Not only in what Daniel and his friends do, but the way in which Daniel writes this. For example, the name Daniel. Last week I shared with you that the name Daniel means God is my judge. God my judge. Dan-yee-el. That word means for us that everything we think about, what matters most is what God thinks about it. In every way we behave, what matters most is how God is calling us to behave. In every way we engage all parts of our life, God is our judge too. What God thinks matters most. But the other names are also very significant. Like Daniel, Mishael has the E-L syllable, which means God. The short form of Jehovah is found in Hananiah, and in Azariah. Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. Azariah means Jehovah is my helper. Mishael is who is God like. Now think about those statements. God, my judge. Who is God like? Jehovah is my helper. Jehovah is gracious. Think about those names influencing the way you read the rest of the book. More than that, the way in which you live your life in light of what you're reading in this book. Jehovah is gracious. Jehovah is my helper. God is my judge. Who is like God? No one. So what does the king do? He wants to change their names. So he does. And each of their names are changed in such a way that they now give a tribute to the pagan, Babylonian, false gods. Interestingly, Daniel doesn't say much about that. He doesn't resist that really, except that when he's writing this letter, he changes each of those names just enough. It's a bit of holy defiance. I think that's awesome. Daniel doesn't resist, apparently, the name change. 
He certainly doesn't resist the education that he is now to, about to engage. But when it comes to the food that comes from the king's table and the wine that comes from the king, he draws a line. And he's going to draw many lines. And that line that's drawn is centered on this word that Daniel uses. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. The word defile, when the negative is not there, means to redeem. Daniel, we're told as he writes, resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. We're not sure why. Some believe it's possible that it's because those items, that food, that wine was offered to pagan idol worship and then brought to those who would eat it. Others thought David, Daniel's just perhaps saying, I'm not going to eat this way while the others who are part of this exile do not. We don't really know. But we know that it was enough in his conscience that this was the wrong thing to do, that here's where he drew the line. And he said, I will not defile myself. I will not eat or drink what comes from the king's table. Therefore, verse 8, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave. I said this last week. You can't miss it. Three times in chapter 1. And God gave. God gave the people of Israel to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't forget that. And now God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. That favor matters. And for us to seek that favor in the world, that we might be a witness, is important for us to see. Daniel will not defile himself. He goes to the chief of the eunuchs, and he asks himself that he might not take of those things, that he would not defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. But this chief doesn't let him do it. Why? Because he's afraid if he does, and they look worse than the others who are in exile, he will lose his head. And he means it. If I've been told to give you the king's food and the king's wine, and you look worse, I don't know what that means. Complexion, skinnier, just less healthy. If you look less healthy than the others, and it's because you wouldn't eat, and I allowed that to happen, I will lose my head. Children, he meant it. He would really lose his head. They were playing for keeps. So what does Daniel do? He trusts in God's favor. He trusts in God's sovereignty. He sees that he has favor in the chief of the eunuchs, though his answer isn't, go ahead. So he goes to one who serves that chief of the eunuchs, who also shows favor. And God gives Daniel wisdom to ask for a test. It's a little easier to swallow. Maybe this will only be in 10 days. And if it's not right at the end of 10 days, I would guess I'll eat the things that I said I wouldn't. I'm not sure what Daniel's thinking there, but this steward agrees. Verse 11, Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food and drink the king's drink, it's both, 
in Paris. So we listen to them. That's God's favor. People who aren't in Christ, who are part of a pagan culture, God places us where we can trust the Lord and be courageous. And they will listen at times in ways that make no sense. He did. And so they eat vegetables and water. Some people extract from this the idea of the Daniel diet. And that book, I think, has even been written, and maybe some of you have done it. That's neat, but that's not the ultimate goal. That's not the ultimate application from this text. So he listened to them in this matter, and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, children, listen to what happens. They looked better in appearance, fatter in the flesh, than the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward knew it would be advantageous for him to take that stuff away. You eat your vegetables. You drink your water. I'm going to represent you, and I'm going to win. God's in control. What gave Daniel this resolve? David Helm, I quoted him last week, says this. What grows, he asked the question, what grows the kind of person who has this kind of resolve? Now, I want you to listen for a minute, especially if you're in high school, middle school, college. Daniel and his three friends were probably 14, 15, 16, 17. They were not young adults in the sense of 25, 30. They were young. Parents, grandparents, think about your teenage children. What gave them this resolve? David Helm says, people of resolve are fashioned. They're made. They don't just appear. They're formed. This summer, when I was in Colorado hosting family camp for two weeks, both weeks, something really interesting happened. It had never happened in the previous 12 years. Groups of high school students wanted to talk to me and ask me questions about faith and about the culture they're living in. Week one, about eight boys and girls gathered and they peppered me with questions. As a youth pastor for almost 25 years, I don't think 10 years ago, maybe not even five, I could have imagined they would be facing the kind of questions they were facing and seeking to have answers, seeking to have resolve, seeking to be able to stand up for the truth that their pastor and their parents and likely their grandparents and their siblings perhaps, and other members of this church have said is true. How do I think about responding to a person who says this to me or ask this question? About an hour and 15 minutes into the conversation, a storm came over the camp, actually over that region that was unbelievable. The head of the camp said, I've never seen a storm like this. And he's lived there for a long time. It resulted in about a dozen mudslides between where our camp is and Lake City. Some were trapped in Lake City and couldn't make it back to camp that night. And some who were at the camp who lived in Lake City couldn't make it back to Lake City. 
It was massive. That night I was thanking the Lord for this time with these children, these kids, these young adults. And it reminded me as I thought about the awesomeness of that storm, that that's the life that they're living in. Yet, Job tells us that this God, who is like God, sends out the lightning and the lightning reports back to him, this is where I've been. That is awesome because he is awesome. And as the body of Christ, we've been given the grace of God to believe these words to be true, to stand on them. So as I sought to answer those young people's questions, that week and the week that followed, which had me one-on-one -on -one with three different students, which was fantastic. Same way of thinking though. I knew that the foundation I'm standing on is true. There's nothing I need to compromise, but I also need to teach how we're to interact with those who don't see it the same way. That's why this faith and culture, this incredible ministry must start because we need to help one another understand how to stand strong in a culture with this violent storm all around us. God is in control. He's sovereign. People of resolve are not simply people who arrive. They're fashioned. These children who were baptized today, can you imagine growing up in this culture, in the world today, what kinds of questions they're going to be confronted with when they're 14, 15, 16, or 17? You can imagine, but I promise you it's going to be worse than you think. But I also want to tell you that this will not change. And the God that this word speaks about will not change. Who is like God? Jehovah gracious. Jehovah, my helper, God, my judge, there is none. And that's the God that we, as his body, must be resolved to stand up for. This is the God, the only God, that we must resolve in our hearts and minds to say, it's worth standing against. And it's worth loving in the midst of conflict. It's worth constantly pointing people to Jesus, who is the word, never compromising and never lacking to show charity. The questions that will come are going to boggle our minds, but they're going to come. Don't meditate on what the questions might be. Meditate on the answers that you already know. Where did Daniel's resolve come from? This is what we'll be looking at in the weeks to come. It came from a conviction that God is who he says he is. He's holy. He's sovereign. He's powerful. It came from a confidence that God is in control. God gave us into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. God gave me favor inside of the chief of eunuchs and his steward. God gave us favor in wisdom and intellect. 
Daniel's resolve comes from that conviction, that confidence, and then the courage to be the people God called him to be. Now there's one final verse of chapter one, which is really important. It seems maybe out of place or that it comes too early, but at the end of chapter one, Daniel says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What does that mean? It means God wins. He outlasted Nebuchadnezzar. This is at least 70 years past the time when Daniel was taken captive. We do not know when our Savior is going to return. You do not know when he will call you home if that's before he returns. But what we know in Christ is that this sovereign God wins. And the focus of our eyes upon his holy word must lead us to a place where we're continually fixed upon the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, where things from a fleshly standpoint never looked more dark and more out of control. And as Jesus hung on the cross and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. It looked like the greatest moment of defiling that has ever happened. It looked like that man was being defiled and he was, yet redemption came. And he wins. Jehovah, gracious. Jehovah, my helper. God, my judge. Who is like God. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of this place, this church, the generations that are here, the wisdom that is present, the stories of women and men who have shown resolve and those who will. God, for these little ones who are baptized, for others who will be baptized, what might you do in and through their lives to show the world that you alone are God, that you alone are Jehovah, that you alone reign, that the lightning goes out and reports back to you, this is where I've been. Father, forgive us if we have not thought of you in such great ways and help us by renewing that sense of awe and wonder that Daniel had as he courageously trusted you and drew that line and showed that resolve. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.